I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. Welcome to episode 24, where we continue our discussion on colors and color trends and um, Pantone and all that great stuff. Uh, But before we get into it, you know, since it is all about color and everything, you know, you can definitely find all of our show notes, all the colors and images and references on our website, thedepartment.world. You can also find a lot of really great content on our Instagram account that's growing a really great community and following and engagement. Um, It's at underscore the underscore department. Um, Sounds hard to find. It's actually pretty easy to find. <laughs> it's worth it's worth the work. It's worth the work. And don't forget mm-hmm. that if you have a story about one of the colors we've talked about, your own feelings about Pantone, any other trends we have or have not been talking about, please call the hotline. It's 717-925-7417. And if you get cut off after like about two and a half minutes, <laughs> call back. I will use the magic of technology to turn it into one long, lovely message. And you can also find that on our uh, website, thedepartment.world, if you did not get it. Yes. And we'll put it in the show notes. Like, you're not going to have to memorize this number, although it's not a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) You got to add it to your address book. So Amanda, you know, I know it's getting kind of cold there. I am in Los Angeles, so winter is, you know, like 60 degrees, 70 degrees here. But, you know, for, you know, any of our listeners are actually in like cold weather climates, you know, do you have any winter trends happening where you are that are keeping you kind of cozy? (laughs) Um, (laughs) One, I drink a lot of tea Mm. um, and beverages. Um, I, there's celestial seasonings tea that's called apple cinnamon or something like that. And it is my favorite. It makes you feel really cozy when you have it. Um, also, my friend Celicia sent me a gift in the mail that I laughed when I opened it because it was it was so silly but yet amazing. Um, it's this mug. She won it at a conference, and she knew I would like it. It's a mug that will keep your drink warm electronically and it can also oh, yes. like, increase the temperature of it and it has an app it's called an ember uh and dustin kind of made fun of me at first but let me tell you there's nothing more delightful than knowing that your beverage is always 135 degrees it like sends me a push notification like hey amanda your drink's now 135 degrees stop uh it's like it's so silly, but it's, it's like so the Jetsons. Nice. Yeah, it's so nice. I I have seen those, and I've always like, oh, like that. I, who uses those? And that just makes so much sense. It is, it is, uh, because especially. So we use a Chemex to make coffee, which has absolutely no thermal properties at all. So your coffee gets cold really fast. We have been pouring the entire Chemex into a vintage Dunkin' Donuts thermos that Dustin found at the thrift oh store, God. and that keeps it pretty warm. <laughs> but man. Once you start having coffee that's 135 degrees all the time, you can't go back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to get this as gifts for everyone. This is Absolutely. like something I would never buy myself. And it is like the best gift ever for winter. It's so luxury. It's like a simple luxury. Does it plug in? It charges. It has a little charging station, just like, you know, every other electronic device. And uh, it it like will send me a push notification telling me when I need to charge or when it's fully charged. I know it, it's kind of impressive. And I dragged my heels on downloading the app because I was like, I need another <laughs> app. But then when I did, I was like, oh, so wait, green tea should be 150. Noted. You know, it's been really, I like getting the little like ding and it's like your drink yeah. is ready. I can explain it. It's so nice. Will you send me um, what it is so I can add it to our show yes, notes in I case will, I'm I will. interested? It's, it's an incredible device. It's like a hundred bucks. Once again, 
I would have never bought this for myself. But now that I have it, I'm like, ah. <laughs> I think that's really great. So then you basically have all of your little celestial seasons teas. Yes. You have like a sleepy time. Yes, yes. We have a whole cabinet of tea. I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, you and I talk about like affordable luxuries all the time. And in this household, yeah. tea is one of them. And especially Dustin, he's like always wants to buy more tea. Yes. So we have all the kinds. Anyone can come over. We've got a tea for you. It's like heartwarming. It it feels good. It's do good. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a totally um, r- reliable source for some comfort. And it hydrates you. You mm-hmm. know, it makes you feel warm. It's good if you have a sore throat. I've been recording nonstop this weekend, mm-hmm. and it's helped me keep my voice because I have literally been talking for hours on to end every day, which. Especially yeah. in the era of COVID, I don't do anymore because I primarily sit in silence. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, hashtag tea. It's great. I mean, I feel like I find small comforts in little things. Like um, I've been, I've gotten these um, kind of fancy salts, uh, which I feel like I, I think I was gifted them a while ago once, and I just love them so much. Um, I have like a smoked, this like seven times smoked salt that just is absolutely delicious and delightful. And it's just like a little treat. And then there's a truffle one that I absolutely oh, love. That sounds so nice. I, are they, are they Jacobson's by any chance? They are not Jacobson's. They are, oh, Hep, H-E-P-P, Hep salts. Mm. And they're here in California and they're just like a, um, you know, a, a local small brand that I would get at these maker fairs. And because I wasn't going to the maker fairs this year, I just order them online and I absolutely love them. Yeah. I love it. I love a flavored salt. There's less mm-hmm. coffee salt that you can get from Jacobson's. That's like stumped oh. coffee. Uh, it is so good on a steak. Oh, it brings yeah. out something there. It does the salt like when you have one like one of those flavored salts like they do they do like a really thick, like a spicy one mm, or the smoked yeah, one yeah it just adds this really nice element I actually like to just put them on eggs in the morning oh, that's um, a good idea it's just a simple thing I'll like hard boil some eggs up and just kind of cut them up and put truffle salt and it just makes for like a really great morning treat that's also really kind of healthy and high protein. Ah, that sounds so nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the simple luxuries, right? Some little luxuries, yes, yeah, to get you yeah. through these winter months. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, today we're continuing our conversation about color. You know, what have we done so far? We gave you the history of Pantone. We talked about the bad and good choices of Pantone of the Year and kind of how it all works. At least gave you our opinions feelings on the color. And today we're going to talk about some colors that are considered like generational colors. Well, of course, we have to start with millennial pink, right? Of course. Now, as Kim mentioned in the last episode, in 2016, Pantone made history. And I don't mean like major human history or world (laughs) history or anything like that. So let's not overstate it. They made their own personal history, if you will by picking two colors of the year instead of one. One was the rose quartz, AKA millennial pink and serenity, which was a lavender blue. And they're both actually beautiful colors. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they're like real winners. Now, as you've learned in the last episode, uh, Pantone likes to write a lot of really wordy, word salad flowery. Highfalutin. So highfalutin. I can even- <laughs> I couldn't even handle all the stuff they've written about these <laughs> colors. So I decided to just pick sentences because I just was like, this is all like. It's a lot. Yeah. There's like quotes. Yeah. It was ridiculous. They said, in many parts of the world, we are experiencing a gender blur as it relates to fashion, which has in turn impacted color trends throughout all other areas of design. And I was like, all right, this is fine. Now, as Kim and I talked about, Pantone it's kind of slow on the uptake here, yeah. it seems like, right? And these colors weren't necessarily groundbreaking because they were already pretty popular, which I'm going to talk about a lot after this. Um, once again, and this was 2016, just keep that in mind. These colors were also used together quite often in the early age of the internet, which 
once I read oh, this, I was right. like, oh yeah, yeah, you're totally right. For example, they were a key part of the mm-hmm. Prodigy guidebook and they were literally the colors of the America Online, aka AOL, huh. welcome page. And I looked at a picture of that and I was like, yep, that's Serenity <laughs> Blue right there. Um, rose quartz became the color of a generation, although nobody mm-hmm. calls it rose quartz. It's millennial pink. And Serenity really was its like sort of second runner up for color of a generation. Like these two are go hand in hand. In fact, in, in my area of like fashion and buying, it would be like, well, we just did that in, in uh, millennial pink. Why don't we do it in Serenity yeah. now? Like as the color update. Like they were just so similar in terms of the vibe. Millennial pink was also known before it kind of was called millennial pink. It was called Tumblr pink because it was so popular on Tumblr, which we'll get into. And it was also called Scandi pink because it was such a key component in Scandinavian design of that era. Wait, and, and they call it they call it Scandi pink because of acne, right? Yes, among other acne studios like. Yeah. So prevalent in all Scandinavian design of all varieties that it was just like it was their color. Um, Barbie pink actually was a huge trend color of the aughts. Like, yeah, that kind of brought pink to the forefront of trends for the first time, maybe ever. Maybe since maybe in the 80s it had its moments, but it did for like girly stuff. Yes. And I think, yeah, yes, that makes sense. It would be a nostalgic color, but this was a softer less Mm -hmm. aggressive shade. Some considered it Mm -hmm. a modern take on the color. And I do think we've all been programmed because of the way we've been exposed to it to think of millennial pink as this intrinsically modern color, even though, like I said, it was on the AOL homepage. It was like, it was like girl's bedroom color. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this color has been in my life, my entire life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. New York Magazine did this just exhaustive, almost too dry article on the history of millennial pink. You could go read it. The link will be on our website. But I will tell you, I'm going to pick out the most important parts for you because as a person who loves millennial pink, I found this article so annoying that it almost made me not like millennial pink anymore. Hmm. But I'll be citing a lot of it here because it did nail some stuff. The New York Magazine fashion editor, Amy LaRocca, said, quote, Often when Pantone declares Marsala Red, or our favorite, Radiant Orchid, to be the next color to watch, we shrug knowingly, fully expecting to see that shade on shelves, but not expecting it to invade our consciousness. And this goes back to that idea that Kim touched upon about the obsolescence of these colors. They are in for a year, and they're gone, and they look so dated the next year. But millennial pink was different because it really did invade every aspect of clothing, graphic design, interior design, product design. It became, as we've talked about before, a signature of the blanding aesthetic. I mean, and it's still around Mm -hmm. and still pleasing and still sells. But people would ask at that time, you know, why pink? Because in the past, pink has been a very polarizing color, primarily because of the way It is attributed to girly things. Think about the pink aisle at the toy store or which is all Barbies, right? Pink razors, pink bottles of shaving cream. I mean, pink has always been the signature color of women and girls. That wasn't always this way. In 1918, the trade publication Earnshaw's Infants Department published an article saying the generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. Oh, really? I know, I know. And as far as I can tell, that shift in pink being the girl's color, blue being the boy's color, happened somewhere around mid-century. Like, think when the boomers were born. Mm. And so pink has kind of lived in the girls' department, in the women's department, for decades. Even in the aughts, when I, you know, like I said, Barbie pink and juicy pink. Oh my gosh. When I think of juicy, mm-hmm. I think of that specific shade of pink. And it was like an assault on your senses, right? Yes. yes. It was only used being marketed towards women and girls. And even there was sort of like a stigma to wearing those that shade of pink. 
Like it indicated that you were like a Paris Hilton type, like you really know? girly, but like, yeah, not good. Not a good. Like, I wouldn't have worn that color. Mm-hmm. That was uncool to me, mm-hmm. you know, but millennial pink has a different androgynous vibe. It was considered the quote, genderless mascot of a generation. It's also though, it doesn't hurt that it's also flattering and easy on the eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just a universally nice color to wear, unlike a lot of the other Pantone colors that we talked about. I also want to add that pink has traditionally had sort of like an age limit of when it was ex- it could be acceptably worn, especially when we talk about that Barbie pink of the aughts, that if a grown woman was wearing it, she was probably a real wacky piece of work or like an airhead, a ditz, you know, that kind of thing. Think like Legally Blonde, or I love this one, The House Bunny, or, you know, Paris Hilton, right? Juicy juicy tracksuits, all of that stuff. It had a stigma attached to it. And if you are an intellectual or beyond a certain age or a professional, you really couldn't wear pink to work or, you know, be taken seriously anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And I'd never really thought of pink as having an age limit on it, but it after it was pointed out to me, I was like, oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. It's like a little girl's color, right? And I definitely saw that reflected across our culture, especially when I looked at like, oh, like legally blonde. Like mm-hmm. one of the things that we're supposed to think about Reese Witherspoon's character is she's kind of dumb because she loves pink, right? Because what grown woman with any sense who was going to go to law school would wear pink, right? Absolutely. Right? I think that's so Absolutely. interesting. So. A few years ago, I read an amazing interview with one of my favorite bands. It's a Japanese like sort of punk girl band called Chai. And they use pink very heavily and all of their imagery like and album art and outfits. And this quote from member Yuki really stuck with me. In Japan, most girls like pink when they're little. There is this cultural understanding that when you're a young girl, you can wear pink. But as you grow older... Pink is not the color for you. What we're trying to say is that pink is for everybody at every age. We wanted people to know it's a cool color and it shows woman power. Our pink outfits show we're not just cute. This is what cool women wear. Oh, I like that. I like that too. And I mean, I'm a big pink fan. Mm -hmm. I think that millennial pink, along with being genderless, is also so ageless, which is why as a certified pinkaholic, I'm not mad about it being everywhere in everything that I buy or see. Also, pink is known to be both calming and euphoric. Like I do feel that when I am in a pink room or surrounded by pink things, that I feel a sense of euphoria and joy. It's very motivating for me. It helps me focus. For other people, it's inspirational. Some people think it's, you know, calming. Some people, it puts them on edge, right? I mean, it's got a different feeling for everyone. Now, when I see like a Barbie pink, I do not feel chill vibes. I do not feel euphoric. I feel annoyed. I feel tense, <laughs> right? So as we talked about, it seems like Pantone is a little behind the times on their color choices, millennial pink being no exception. Remember, they they chose it in 2016. And while that shade of pink was not new, its invasion of our consciousness and our surroundings actually began in 2013. But there were little little bits of it here and there. But 2013 is really where we started to see pink everywhere, specifically millennial pink. So I wanted to call out some of the iconic millennial pink moments. Mm. First off, Glossier. It's packaging, it's products, the jumpsuits that the employees wear in the flagship store, all millennial pink. It's like iconic to them. They even ship in these little millennial pink plastic bubble wrap bags. Um, oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and when you, I remember the first time I saw Glossier packaging, I was like, wow, that is like revolutionary. It looks so fresh and modern and uh, it's blanding, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's pink blanding. Okay. Here's a special one for Kim. The cover of Girl Boss. Oh, thanks. Yes. And also <laughs> Sophia's second book, mm-hmm. Nasty Galaxy. Awesome. Oh, okay. Just want to let you know you can get Nasty Galaxy on thrift books for less than $5 if you're interested. I almost did. And then I was like, I don't know if this is useful to me in 2021, but it's there if you want to check it out. 
Um, another one that I had totally forgotten about, which makes me laugh because I have seen this photo reposted on Tumblr millions of times. It's the upper half of the Grand Budapest Hotel setting of the film by Wes Anderson, which is an entirely pink building. But the top half is like exactly millennial pink, inspiring Tumblr pastel fans all over the internet to repost it time and time again. And actually looking at it today, I was like, this feels fresh again to me, despite seeing it so many times. Uh, many subway cars in the Tokyo metro system are millennial pink inside and sometimes outside sometimes it's to de to denote these like women only cars but something that i find very interesting about japan especially tokyo is that they've done extensive research into ways in which they can make stressed out commuters feel calmer and one of those things is by making the interior of these cars that light millennial pink because it can be soothing another thing that they do is they actually play a soothing little song, and it's a different song for every single stop, rather than shouting out the name of the stop. You're just supposed to know the music. It's supposed to make you feel calmer. They spent so much money on that. They hired all these famous composers. There was all this research involved to ensure that they were optimizing the calmest songs. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Um, who can forget <laughs> the cover of Drake's Hotline Bling? Awesome millennial pink which inspired like so many graphic tee and sticker knockoffs. Uh, like, oh. say I worked somewhere that did a knockoff mm -hmm. of the Hotline Bling cover as a t-shirt. And The Wing, another girl boss empire. Oh, yes. Here, that's their primary color for its location. Of course. I mean, I would also argue, and I've read a lot about Millennial Pink and I, you know, this past week, that a lot of people credit Acne when they when they went through their rebrand and brought Pink in to their branding in like 2000, I don't know, 10, I don't know, I don't know what time, that they actually started the trend of millennial Pink. It's hard for me to say because I feel like Acne is really niche in the grand scheme of the world. Like for people like us who work in fashion, we're like, oh yeah, of course Acne, but people who live in like the Midwest don't know about Acne acne. You know what I mean? It was like, I think there was like a weird, a, a general wave yes, of everyone yes. just embracing it all at once. Yes. And it just became, I definitely think for, for the influencers, like for the, for the top level that were probably writing, like a lot of them, the magazines and the articles and the things that were kind of getting out there, they probably did get, there was a bit of a hit from acne, but I'm sure it came from a lot of other places. Yeah, too. like one thing that I was reading about and thinking about was, you know, we talked in the last episode about trends coming from the top and the bottom. And Tumblr in the dating oh. this had, I mean, there were a lot of subgenres on Tumblr, but perhaps one of the biggest was all of these like pastel aesthetic accounts. Um and oh. in 2014, the number one pink-related hashtag on Tumblr, which apparently for years, pink-related hashtags had been, like, in their top consistently. The number one was hashtag pale pink. I mean, hmm. in a weird way, Tumblr kind of birthed the pastel aesthetic, in my opinion, because I would say that the kids of Tumblr really led that pastel revolution starting around 2009, 2010, with all yeah. these pastel aesthetic blogs, um, the the rise of pastel goth, among other things. Yes. I still yes. see it living there. I think it's really interesting. Once again, like that Wes Anderson photo being reposted millions of times. Mm -hmm. People of all genders were loving this. And I guess we're talking about like peak millennials as young people era. Like millennials created this color kind of. Um, I mean, it already existed, but they made it important. Like I kind of, in a weird way, I can't think of any color that has more appropriately, uh, defined a generation. Yeah, exactly. Defined a generation uh -huh. because I can't think like, when I were like, what are the colors of the nineties? And I was like, I don't know. Like yeah. olive, like I, black, black, yeah, black was, I guess so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was the color you wore if you were like stylish. Right. But, but black has been a lot of colors. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 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 So. Once again, we I, this was something I didn't realize until I was researching for these episodes that Pantone is always a little behind the curve. In mm -hmm. November of 2014, so 
almost two years before it was declared the Pantone Color of the Year, the Color Marketing Group, which is a worldwide nonprofit color forecasting group, of which Pantone is a member, picked, I hate this color, this color name, it's called Shim, a deep pink beige as the 2016 emerging color. This group worked two years in advance. So 2014, I said in 2016, this is going to be the color which Pantone jumped on. It's an early version of millennial pink. And this kind of is interesting to me because it kind of goes back to what I say of Japan using it as this like key color that's like soothing and appealing to people. The Asia Pacific members of the group were the first to notice the color and say that it represented a change in gender roles. The name Shim, which once again, I don't like because this is often used as a slur against trans people. I find it really offensive. Uh, This was a different time, I guess. And their intentions were good. It's a play on she and him combined together. I, I was just putting that together when you were saying that. I was like, shit. I, I was just imagining like a, I don't know, like a knife or something. But no, okay. <laughs> uh, Mark Woodman, who was the former president of the Color Marketing Group, calls the color a, quote, moment of quietude and explains there's so much stress that people think, what can I do in color and texture? that it can take with me that gives me a moment to calm down. So, I mean, this is like already, but Pantone kind of pushed it over the edge. Every brand, whether it was clothing, kitchen goods, furniture, you name it, got into the millennial pink game at some point. But strangely, at least based on my Googling, there's never been a car made in that color, like by the major companies, which... Fascinating. Why not? I don't know. I was thinking about that because I was like, why haven't I seen a millennial pink car? Because I would buy that. And it doesn't exist. You have to get it as a custom paint color. That isn't, I mean, that actually is shocking to me. And I'm just thinking they must have done like a, um, uh, what's it called? A uh, questionnaire. I know, uh, market um, research or something. They must march to a different trend drum than the rest of us. But I really do feel like, People would love pink, but I guess in the yeah the automotive industry, maybe it's just it's just trending so low that no one's putting the money into it. Yeah, it probably just doesn't. It still seems risky to them because mm-hmm. while for you know millennials and I'm I, I'm assuming also Gen Z, pink no longer is the color of girls. Mm-hmm. I could see the like auto companies being like, yeah, well the people who really buy new color new cars are Gen X and boomers because they have the money to do it and they're not going to buy a pink car. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is, is, you know, fair. We're all still in the, if we even have a car because exactly. generation doesn't buy a car. If we do, it's probably used, right? Like buying a brand. Yeah. Buying a brand new car. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems crazy to me. Imagine that a car oh. payment. I mean, what's going to, what's going to happen exactly? A car payment. What's going to happen in like 10 years? Like how are the, how's the automotive motive color industry going to change? You know? I know everything's, it's going to be all millennial pink and mm-hmm. yellow cars. Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> still going to be loving millennial pink. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like car companies are like, no, you know, what's a good color? Forest green. Buy mm-hmm. that. Silver. Yeah. Black. That it's red color. diversity there. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember in the early 90s, they were making briefly, like, maybe it was more like the mid-90s, they would make these, like, bright blue cars. Like, every car brand had their own bright blue. Like, my friend, Laura Curley, her dad bought her a brand new Ford Escort that was this, like, just so bright blue. It mm-hmm. actually was a lot like that AI Aqua. It was so bright. You could see it miles down the road. And I feel like every car company was making a car in that color just for like one year. And then it like went away. Oh my God. You know what I just realized? Hmm. I had a car that was radiant orchid, that gross purpley color. I have seen cars in that color. That couldn't have been successful. But it was, I mean, it was the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't like my dad got a really good deal on it. It was like a used car. (laughs) And he brought it back and he's like, it's called Champagne Red. And I was like, it's literally purple. <laughs> but, you know, thank you so much for a car to drive around in. Like, I don't care. This is great. <laughs> Maybe car companies got burned by the purple cars of the mid-90s. And they were like, oh, shit. Okay, we can't ever do that again. We're always going to play it safe. No more. Exactly. I mean, I have a feeling that, you know, you know, remember how we were talking about how, like, millennials are killing things and everyone's saying, millennials are kill- killing cars. And you're like, 
well why i mean obviously like you don't have any pink cars on the on, on the market <laughs> well i mean one they don't they don't cater to us at all but mm-hmm. i also think that we're the first generation that's like i don't need a car and we think about that mm-hmm. you know it's expensive yeah and you know most of us live in cities i mean who knows what will happen after the pandemic because as you know everyone's moving away we've talked about that mm-hmm. but i think that we're all like we don't need to have one car per adult in my household. Like we don't need to drive everywhere. We can rethink our consumption that way. And I do think millennials may somewhat kill the auto industry if the auto industry doesn't turn it around, make more small cars, make more fuel efficient cars, make millennial pink cars. Totally. Millennial pink cars would be great. Yeah, would buy. I mean, I wouldn't actually go buy a car right now, but I would think about it. <laughs> which which kind of car would it have to be? Would it be like a Prius or? Oh, I totally. Actually, you know what I'd like is a pickup truck. Ooh. Oh like a gosh, really yes. efficient one. Yeah, that'd be a good luck. That's really so cute. You can haul stuff around. Yeah. You've know? you got lots of stuff. You have so many cats. Yeah. We'll just throw the, the three cats <laughs> back there. So many. And, uh, so many. I think, you know, if, if I were going to buy a car, it would have to have a tremendous amount of utility attached mm-hmm. to it. And I think a lot of millennials feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, you know, going into Gen Z and the colors that are kind of starting to appeal to the Gen Z um, generation, you know, there's nothing, nothing stands against, you know, millennial pink, which of course also appeals to the Gen Z consumer, but Gen Z yellow was getting a ton of airplay in 2018. Um, You know, a lot of people were actually hoping for this to be a standout color like Millennial Pink was that just drove so much revenue for people. Um, and they mm-hmm. were just pushing it like crazy. So you saw a lot of yellow in the market. It is a hard color. Um, I love yellow. Uh, it just is, it's just not pink and it's never going to be pink, you know, and it is super, yeah. It's so interesting that Pantone basically picked their color of the year for 2021. You know, it's basically Gen Z yellow. Um, I know. I feel a little cynical about that. And I feel that that was intentional, that they're mm-hmm. like, we've got to definitely success in 2016. And I just, I don't think this is it. No, it's, it is a great color. And a lot of people, you know, there is some sex, success with it. It's just, it's just not, it's just not millennial pink. And there's, there's just not really much of a replacement. Um, you know, yeah. neutrals are are really popular right now. This past, you know, probably six months, people are really loving like super, super like skin tone neutrals, but they have in the past. And, you know, like that's just like a continued color trend. Um, but, you know, nostalgic colors are really, really hitting home for like Gen Z. So 90s mm-hmm. colors and Y2K colors are trending. You know, that cerulean, like I said, is coming back. Um, and that's, you know, obviously just a, a play on, you know, Y2K, you know, Billy, mm-hmm. Billy Eilish makes a lot of, um, moves with her color choices, particularly for her hair, her style, her clothing, you know, the New York times really called, called her basically Gen Z's fashion role model. People really, really look up to her. So whatever she does, those colors, you know, they mean something. So she did her hair with this, um, like UFO neon green and that color, that color just is really, really trending, which is a, just a strange color, but it, it, you know, it stands out. It's really, it's unlike millennials that they, you know, they poo poo against and Gen Z, basically anyone else, like they are picking a color that nobody, you know, considers to be a, a good color, which is actually kind of fun and exciting in the, in the color industry. Like it's that color of slime green. It seems like it's been more success, successful in the more like streetwear brands, streetwear inspired brands. And I've seen a couple brands Definitely. that I are not a part of that, try to pick it up. And I think they've had little success with it because it's really hard to wear. Yeah. I think it's more for like accessories and things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, being able, yeah, I, I think it's hard to, to totally wear all over your body unless it's something sort of small, usually going against like a black. Um, Seafoam and aqua is also like, you know, basically that AI aqua is mm-hmm. trending. Um, you know, you go to Urban Outfitters and there you go. It's right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I do think there is a surging trend in those sort of like, 
Palm Springs kind of inspired, yes. mid-century Palm Springs. And there's been Miami. like- Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. And there's been this rise in the past year of a lot of Instagram accounts that really focus on color palettes and decor of like the mid-century. Like there's one called like old house bathrooms or something. And they really highlight interior design that is like seafoam and pink. And I think, I mean, this stuff has picked up so much momentum. Like people are really feeling this color combo, which I love. Mm -hmm. It's like my favorite. So I'm excited to see that pick up more momentum. And that feels different than even cottage core. You know what I mean? Like it is a step towards mod, I think. It's definitely like a 60s color choice. Um, and then there's this 90s more bubblegum pink that's, you know, it's like, it's kind of a play on millennial pink that's just a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit more house bunny, like you call her, Paris Hilton. Yeah. Be- yes. But not that Barbie pink, which not is Barbie. like an assault no. on the census. <laughs> well, and this is, this is what's also trending, which is the 2000s are trending with the Gen Z group because, you know, mm-hmm. that nostalgia is really popular. And um, you're seeing a lot of girls on TikTok recreating these 2000s looks, you know, complete with like butterfly clips and frosted lips and like pink um, velour, juicy couture inspired jumpsuits. Like that, sh- that is like really, really um, kind of hitting the mark right now, which is going to be really funny for us to all see come back. I know. I know. It's really, really interesting to me. Like what else from that era is going to come back? For example, Von Dutch. Yep. Yay or yay. Um, and that's just coming back. So are trucker hats. So is low-rise jeans. So are no, crystals. If we all band together, <laughs> we can keep low-rise jeans from coming back. I mean, I want to do an episode pretty soon on the 2000s. Um, this, this yeah. Trend, and we can, we can learn more. Yes, yes. Because this was – the 2000s were a weird time. Oh. Yes. It's like when I think about all of the like cultural events of the early aughts and like people were poor in the aughts, you know, it was the rise mm-hmm. of reality television. Uh, everyone had a show. Playboy had a resurgence. You know, they had like. like a sexual revolution. Yeah. But like in a not good way. It was like. In a weird, not good way. Weird way. Trashy. Yes. It was totally. <laughs> read and listened to a little, a lot of things about how specifically young women of that era. So like teenage girls, women in their twenties, this was a bad time to be that age. And you can even look at like celebrities like Lindsay Lohan, for example, and how critical like the media was of her. I mean, think about Perez Hilton, like it all, like him, like drawing dicks all over pictures of Lindsay Lohan and like Kirsten Dunst. Remember that? It'd be like, <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. Yes. That's the clinical term, ejaculating. <laughs> right? I never, I don't think I've ever <laughs> heard you talk like that. <laughs> I had not even thought of Hilton in about 1,000 years, but he definitely has to be a part of episodes about the 2000s because. <laughs> Remember, totally and, right. And he had oh. pink hair. He just, yes. His website was pink. It was weird. The website looked like it was from the dawn of the internet and didn't change ever. And <laughs> I know that he says he's very remorseful of the things he said and did to all of these like young women celebrities of that time. Like one of his favorite things to do was to post pictures of Kirsten Dunst's alleged cellulite. He would also do that to me. <laughs> Poor Misha Barton. And he had all of them that I can't – I think he called Misha Barton Musha Barton because he thought she was so fat. I mean – Elizabeth, I've met Misha Barton and she's not fat. (laughs) She's so tiny. Oh, my God. I know. I know. I mean, Mm -hmm. I man, I – we should probably just do an episode about the 2000s next. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think that that's time. It's going to be multiple episodes. There's so much to unpack. So many exciting things. You know, if you guys have any, any, any ones that you want us to cover, you know, call the hotline. Please. Call the hotline. Tell us about your favorite or least favorite memory of 2000. Or if you and, think there's something that I missed about uh, Perez Hilton that I'm getting wrong. <laughs> Not, yeah, we have a, a good force. We haven't researched it. 
Well, moving on to the, our last trend in our color series, um, this is just something that's been, you know, I've been seeing around and I keep telling Amanda I want to talk about it a little bit because I think it's kind of interesting. Guys, seriously, talks about this every week. I'm like, can we talk and about I'm like, I don't know if it fits. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, you know, uh, as we mentioned before, whenever there's an existing mainstream trend, there's often a counter trend that will resonate strongly as people get just basically exhausted by the status quo. So minimalism, you know, that was just the ultimate for so long. Clean, neutral, just, I mean, everywhere, permeating everything that we've seen or done. Um, you know, now there's an opposing trend and one that kind of taps into the zeitgeist to alleviate the darkness, the cleanliness, the neutralness of the times, um, and our dependence on our homes and just like our self-fashion. Um, you know, many designers from interior to fashion are turning to a movement called Kindercore which is essentially a happier aesthetic rooted in primary and bubblegum colors with geometric shapes, as well as this new movement into all this fun, squiggly, globby shapes reminiscent of being a kid or in your kindergarten classroom, hence the name. So bold colors being used with childlike abandon and in general color itself, as we mentioned, is trending more as we meant, as we, um, are opening up into this like macro trend of maximization, um, you know, and that's just counterbalancing just all of those years of just like, you know, snore. Maximalism. It's like Maxinista, but different. It's ma <laughs> Maxinista. So maximalism is trending like crazy right now. And, you know, hashtag maximalism has over 7.5 million views on TikTok. Um, so not to be confused with Kinder Whore, which was a trend <laughs> popularized in the 90s grunge movement with the likes of Cat from Babes and Toyland and Courtney Love. Kinder Core plays into the design aesthetics inspired by Bauhaus. The reason I actually mentioned Kinder Whore was because I typed in Kinder Core and there's not a ton out there except for it keeps going back to Kinder Whore. So it's like, oh, are you looking for Kinder Whore? <laughs> They're like, are you sure you just don't know how to spell dirty words? Exactly. Um, so it's inspired by Bauhaus still and Memphis, uh, primarily rely on those movements, um, and it makes them more concurrent with 21st century tastes. Uh, we see it in various fashion, but it's most important right now in interiors. Actually, pretty much most things right now is important in interiors. I mean, that is what is selling. Um, so the clean lines of mid-century modern will always likely appeal, but this kind of subverts that look and it's really chunky lines. It's super chubby furniture and home goods. Squiggles and extroverted color choices invoke a sense of carefree fun and wonder. Doing your whole space can be overwhelming, but bold statement pieces um, can make this trend really consumer friendly. I think it's so fun. This is why I keep on talking about it because I think it's so fun and interesting to see this coming out, especially since we've just been in years and years of like either just just really clean, you know, uh, you know, almost colorless and really like um, mid-century popularization. So according to an interview in New York Mag in November, Jill Singer, the co-founder of Sight Unseen, which is this awesome um, design blog, attributes it to the collision of three separate trends. Like I mentioned, Memphis Milano, which she says has reached something of a saturation point in recent months, maximalism, which I just mentioned, and a renewed interest in primary color focused artists like Calder and Hockney. And all of that, she says, combined with the fact that the news is depressing, so why not a rainbow? Okay, wait. I have a question. Sure. Do we think this sets the stage for the return of Studio Line? Oh. <laughs> oh. The Studio Line. I mean, if they redid the actual um, the chemistry with, within the packaging, you know, because it was pretty bad. It was if pretty bad, but I was looking at the packaging and I was Oh, like, absolutely. That looks so fresh. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Don't you wish to, to Studio Line was back? Yes. But yeah. Like, like you said, 
actually worked and also didn't smell yes. like vinegar mixed with plastic. But <laughs> That's what it, it was. It was so vinegary. <laughs> it was so, so gross. Bad. It was so bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I also argue, you know, and this hasn't really been brought up in a lot of that, but that that awesome trend of squiggly and globby things that are like basically selling out everywhere I've been reading, that can also be attributed to this sort of kinder core aesthetic. Um, Shapes referencing that same childhood or childlike abandon of shapes, um, you know, you know, from like the Memphis movement, you know, for people stuck at home, they're really kind of, they just want that, like that young, fun joyfulness. You know, there's some Mm -hmm. examples I think I've actually sent this to you, or maybe you've seen it before, that there's a, that brand Wiggle Room that mm-hmm. has tables that I'm completely obsessed with that are, of course, in all of the millennial favorite colors, the pinks, the light blues, those light millennial pink, um, uh, light, light millennial yellows. Um, but there are these like curvy shaped tables and side tables uh, and coffee tables that are just fascinating and amazing and so fresh looking. There's a um, a store called Slowdown Studios that does all these amazing, playful home goods. And they clearly are doing so well with all these kind of fun childhood, childlike accessories that they're constantly buying more and more into them. Um, Pieces by Aesthetic Pursuit is this really great interiors brand. And they make these wiggly rugs that are super bright and colorful. Um, they also make these um, uh, like kind of Lego shaped um vases these like brightly colored really fun exaggerated kind of lego like and curvy shapes and things mm-hmm. that um they came out a couple years ago and i just remember seeing them and being like that is so exciting and that is just kind of moving into a lot of these trends uh, a lot of blobs make these really awesome wiggle me- mirrors uh lolo makes these wiggle hooks um a little bit off of the wiggles there's um a brand called made by erica studios that are making these flower rugs and those like um, uh, it's those '90s kind of Paloma wool inspired check rugs. Mm-hmm. They're so that's so cool, so cool, and so fresh and so interesting. And like, it just is just like oh, like a breath of fresh air. And then there's, there's a brand called Chunks that makes these amazing hair accessories. Yeah, they're so cute. I love them. I love them. They're so cool. And then there's this brand called um, Talbot and Yoon that makes these goober candles. I'm sure you've seen them around. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they cannot keep them in stock. They sell out wherever they go because they're so fun. Uh, and I think, you know, that's just, you know, just one of like the micro macro trends that are just kind of coming out into 2020 as we get into a, a new millennium a millennia full of fun, excitement, generosity. You know, I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity here. I think this is really exciting because not that I'm an expert in decor in any means, but I still read a lot of these blogs and look at magazines and I see what's in photo shoots and whatnot. And interior design has been in two ruts for a really long time. And one is that like minimalist, you know, which we've talked about before, the minimalism that is ostensibly we can credit to millennials, but isn't that's not true at all. And then the other one has been, which I'm never going to choose. I'm always going to choose minimalism over this one. Is this like fake country, like antique yes. vibe? Like there's that show, Magnolia, yes, exactly yeah. uh-huh. that Magnolia stuff where it's like, no, I live in a rustic country house, but everything in here is super expensive. Or Target, right? All that, <laughs> yeah, call it exactly. like, something clap. I don't know. Anyway, ship clap. They put all raw walls. Oh. Yes, yes. We talk about it on on their on their their shows, which we, of course we've all seen. Uh, yes, Harper? yes. Every house Harper? Yes. they decorate looks the same, yeah. and with the handwritten oh. thing on the wall, whatever whatever it oh. is. I what makes oh. me sad is that. On so many episodes of that show and just also in real life, I see people buy incredible mid-century homes and gut them mm-hmm. to turn them into that nightmare. Yes. I don't even know what you call that style. It's oh. like it's like it's like oh. modern farmhouse. Is that it? Oh. It is. Yeah. But it's like in a uh-huh. subdivision. It's like any oh, sense at all. It's so outdated. I think it would got really interesting in the aughts. 
Um, cause we weren't doing anything like that. And then it, it's yeah. become then it so mainstream. Kept going. Like someone was showing me pictures of a house that they bought that was an incredible mid-century home. So cool. And they were completely gutting it. It was going to take a year. So they were going to continue to rent a house somewhere else so that they could turn this into what they called a modern farmhouse. Oh, and I was like, no, like this house is the way it is for yeah. a reason, you know? Oh, that's so devastating. I know. I know. It was interesting to see the resale value on that. Because when I think about like some of the interior trends of previous decades, like you would go in like wall-to-wall carpeting, you know, we've reached a point where you won't rent an apartment with carpeting. It's gross. You look at it and you're like, ew, what will happen with all these fake modern farmhouses? Will that be an interior yes. trend that is instantly aged. It's basically linoleum. Or, you're like, you walk in there, you go that shiplack, and you're like, oh, oh tear so it gross. out. <laughs> I know. I'm like, do you guys have any other ideas? And please, no more signs that say kitchen or, or something in the kitchen. Oh. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a tribal tattoo. So one of the interior trends in Philadelphia is to take all these row houses and turn them into open floor plan. Cause you know, that's another, that's something they do a lot on that fixer upper yeah, show. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So what that would mean if you lived in a row house in Philadelphia is that you would walk by, you could look in someone's front window and see all the way back to the kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, it's just one big room and it was kind of weird. And we had these neighbors who in, they had two words mounted oh. in their kitchen oh. walls and it was yum. <laughs> Gross. That's like I you get it like Target or Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I actually heard that um because of the pandemic, that open floor plan that has been just trending like crazy, that's changed. Now people want to have private rooms and they are moving away from the open floor plan because they want to get away from people. I think that's good because uh-huh. I think one, it is really hard to decorate an open floor plan house and make it feel cozy. Two, it's not necessarily great from a heating perspective because you're just have these wide open spaces. And three, when you look at a space like a row house that you're kind of trying to force, you end up with this really long, narrow room yeah. that is your living room and your kitchen. And I do not want a couch 10 feet from the stove. I don't like that. No. I want a separation. I think people say that, you know, it's it's easier to watch the kids when you're cooking with an open floor plan. And that makes sense. But Yes, you need yeah. some sort of yeah, some sort of breakup. Uh, yeah, totally. get the door to shut so you could just shut yourself away. Yeah, yeah, privacy. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's the end of this episode. We cover everything we wanted to talk about. Yeah, great. Do you have anything else? No, this is of? it. Uh, that's it. That's 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 all, that's all she wrote. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the department. Um, I guess we're going to be back with an episode about the 2000s. Yeah. So (laughs) exciting. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, don't forget to leave us a review and call the hotline with your feelings. Thank you. Bye. Bye.